And the angel did say, fear not, for I bring good news to you. That word good news, that's where we get the word gospel from. The word gospel simply means good news. Good news of great joy that will be for all people, for everyone. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It was 1903. A good while back, 114 years ago, Orville and Wilbur Wright were working on their flying machine, what we now call the airplane. And they had developed this motor that they believed would enable them to fly. But scientists and leaders all over the country and all the world said it's impossible. You can't take a motorized vehicle and fly it in the air. It's too heavy. It won't work. It's just scientifically impossible. But still they continued. And so they moved out to Kitty Hawk when they believed that they had done all that they could and had taken all the necessary steps. They believed that, in fact, they would fly. And certainly on December 17th, 1903, the first flight occurred when Orville Wright took off and flew 120 feet in his motorized plane. But that wasn't the last time they would fly. As a matter of fact, they tried several more times that day. And the last time, the fourth time, when Wilbur was flying, they went 859 feet, almost three football fields long. They were ecstatic. They were so excited. And so they wanted to call home, and they had phones back in 1903, but most people didn't have one. They were mainly just in uh, public buildings and the wealthy Uh, Most people didn't have a phone back then. And in Kitty Hawk, that little rural community in North Carolina, there were zero phones. Nobody had one there. And all that existed in Kitty Hawk was a telegraph. So they telegraphed back to Dayton, Ohio, back to his sister Catherine, great news. The flying machine works. We flew the first time 120 feet, and then by the end of the day, we had flown nearly 900 feet. Tell everyone We'll be home by Christmas. And so she took that telegraph, she took it to the local editor there in Dayton, Ohio, and asked him, Is, could you please publish this? He goes, oh, well, certainly. I'd love to publish that. So he takes it, and so the next day, the Wright family all gets up, eager to see what the paper would say. And when they read their paper, they looked on the third page in an obscure passage, and they saw, uh, they saw a little footnote. It says, Orville and Wilbur Wright will be home for Christmas. There's a classic case of missing the message, missing the main point. And some people today still miss the point of Christmas. They miss the message of Christmas. Why is that? Well, you know, some people, uh, I was talking to somebody this week, you know, kind of one of the bah humbugs about Christmas, and uh, I, I get it. Christmas gets commercialized and distorted. I I get it. That's why it's important and imperative for us to speak forth the message of the gospel, the strength of the story of Christmas and what it's all about. But I believe even in the commercialism, even the distortion, we still want to take time to celebrate Christmas. Some people say, I don't believe that we should celebrate Christmas. I remember there was a guy that used to come to our church a long time ago. I remember he grabbed me one day. He'd come a few times. He said, I just want you to know 
that if you do a Christmas Eve service here, I'm not coming. I don't believe we should be having these Christmas. I don't see it in the Bible. And Easter, I don't see Easter in the Bible. And I'm not coming to any of those. I just want you to know right now. I go, can I give you a hug right now? <laughs> As my wife says, you're hangry. Have you not had enough to eat? I want to, I'm really, I probably need to hug his wife and his children. I was like, I feel sorry for them right now. You know what I mean? And so he said, you know, if it's not in the Bible, then you shouldn't do it. You shouldn't celebrate that. I asked him if he had a car, but nevertheless, um, here's what Paul says about that in Colossians chapter 2 for people who get uptight about what if it's not in the Bible, we shouldn't do it. Therefore, Paul says, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink, according to Colossians 2.16, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And he's talking about the festivals that they knew, and he's saying, you know what? Don't let people get all uptight. Hey, if you choose to participate, great. And if you choose not to, that's okay too. Don't get consumed with that. We can celebrate Christmas just because it wasn't in the Bible. doesn't mean it's not an opportunity for us to give thanks and praise and to remember. I know it's not in the Bible, but the Noel right here is in the Bible. This is Jesus. This is the birth of Christ. This is what we're celebrating. And that's what we call Christmas, the birth of Christ, the celebration of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Still others will say, well, you know, there are pagan symbols in Christmas, and I'm just all against that. I'm against those pagan symbols, like that tree right there. You know, there's some obscure verses about not worshiping trees and putting lights on them and those kind of things. And I don't know that that's a problem for most of us. I don't, I've not had any temptation to worship those trees. I, I know some people get disturbed. You got trees up, but I, I, that's not been a problem for me. If it's a problem for you, please, I would love to talk to you and recommend a good counselor for you. But it's not that big of a deal. Okay, if it bothers you, hey, if that's your conviction, don't do one. But there's nothing, there's nothing anti-Christian about trees. You said, well, you know what that originally meant? You know, people used to carve those things out. You're right. People used to take trees and put carvings in. We put no carvings in our trees. I want you to know, we don't do it at our house. I hope you don't do it at your house. It's not a problem. You say, but, but, but what about the original intent? Look, in our culture, there are all kind of things that we have engrafted into our culture that we use every day that maybe had a different meaning. As a matter of fact, they did have a different meaning. Some of them even pagan meaning. Let's just look at the days of the week. What was Sunday? Sunday was a day of worshiping the sun. It was for the sun god. They worshiped Sunday. This started back in the Babylonian calendar. Matter of fact, even as far back as the Assyrians and the Romans adopted it, and they would worship the sun. But today, if you say, you know, I'm going to worship on Sunday. I wouldn't go, you're going to worship the sun? That's not what you would think. You'd think you're going to church. That's what it means to us today. Guess what Monday was? It was moon day. Tuesday. Now, now we kind of get confusing because uh, in our calendar now, we've kind of adopted some of the Nordic mythology gods into our days, as well as there were the Roman gods. <clears throat> so Tuesday was a day that um, many of the Romans, for that day, they associated it uh, with Mars. But... In our calendar, we call it Tuesday, Tuesday, which was a Nordic god, a one-handed god of war uh, from the Nordic mythology, okay? And that's where the Tuesdays, Wednesday or Wednesday or Wounday is literally how they pronounced it, was the chief Anglo-Saxon god uh, in the European area, particularly in, in the Germanic area, okay? So that was, that's where we got Wednesday. Thor's day was, remember the god of Thunder and bolt, Thor, 
Nobody thinks, oh, Thursday, are we worshiping Thor? No, we don't think that. We think it's Thursday or Friday, Freya. It was the goddess from Venus and the goddess, the Nordic god of love. And then, of course, Saturday, Saturday, the, the god of Saturn, Saturday. But we don't think when we hear those doors today, oh, those are pagan days. I better not say them, celebrate them, or recognize them. We don't, that, that's not what it means. Even Constantine's, you know, when Constantine's uh, mother, who became a Christian, when she, one of her objectives was to take pagan holidays and to put Christ over them. And that was part of what she was trying to do. So that's why you see some of these pagan holidays where they made them uh, primarily Christian holidays. That's kind of how some of that started. We don't have to fear that. It's what's in your heart. Uh, and it's, what the, it's that you worship Jesus Christ and not getting caught up with the symbols. Matter of fact, we can look at the symbols in this way. We can say, you know what? As we give gifts, we think of the greatest gift that was given to us, Jesus Christ. And as we light candles, we think of Jesus being the light of the world. And as we have our trees and we decorate our trees, we can think of the ultimate tree of which the cross that Jesus died upon. Or when we talk about be of good cheer, Jesus said, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Or when we have our meal, when we have our feast, and we can think that one day uh, we will be in the presence of God Almighty. We will feast with Christ Jesus. And when we hear the bells, we can remember the announcement that was made by the angels and the carols that we sing as we remember what the angels sang on that first Noel, glory to God in the highest. And may the Christmas season remind us in every way that Jesus Christ is our king. We don't have to fear those things. But what really prevents us from experiencing the love of of Christmas and really getting the point of Christmas, I believe there's three things that keep us from this. Number one is we don't make room for a Savior. We don't make room for a Savior. Just as the passage Destin read earlier, it said when they came, there was no room for them. Now, many scholars believe it's not that the hotel was full. There probably really wasn't a hotel uh, because it was a community of about 300 people. I grew up in a community of about 300 people. All we had was a store. There was no hotel. So if you're going to stay in that community, then you stayed in someone's home. And so in that time, hospitality was a big deal, and no one received them. They were peasants. They were poor. No one received them. No one made room. Sometimes today we find ourselves not making room for Christ. I'm so busy. I got so much stuff going on. I got to do this. I got to do that. And we just don't make room. Are you making room for the Savior? Number two, one of the reasons that we miss is we want to be the king. He's king of kings, Lord of lords, but I think I'll be king until I decide I want him to be king. And in which matters, I think I want him to be king. The truth be told, we are in a battle. The Bible says it's a spiritual battle. We are wanting to rule our life, and Christ is laying claim to our lives. Until we fully submit to him, we're not making the king. We are missing the message of Christmas. And sometimes we just choose to ignore. I don't want to hear it. Don't feel like it. Don't care. I just, Woody Allen said, I want what the heart wants. And therefore we justify whatever our urges are, whatever we desire, as opposed to bowing before Jesus, recognize him as king of kings and lord of lords. You see, so many people think, you know, the solution to the problems in our world today is education. If we just had more education, everything would be fine. 
But I believe this, if God had thought education was the most important thing, and it's important, if that's what we really needed ultimately, he would have sent an educator. Some people say if we just had more science and more technology, it would make life easier and we would have more understanding. But if God had wanting had wanted us to have a greater grasp of technology and science, he would have sent a scientist. Some people say money. Money, that's our problem. If we just had more money, if we had enough money, everybody had enough money, we'd all be happy, we'd all be at peace, it, every, it, we'd all have purpose. But if God thought money was our greatest need, he would have sent an economist. Some of us think, you know what, if pleasure, that's it. If I can just have all the pleasure of on, if I can just have pleasure, if I can just be entertained, then I'd be happy. If I can just be able to escape at any moment. If that was our greatest need, God would have sent an entertainer, but he didn't. What he sent us was a savior because our problem was our sin. A savior who could forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Jesus Christ, our Lord. So why should we celebrate Christmas? Well, the prophecies give us good reason and give us a background and an understanding and a confidence that God has always been in control. These prophecies are anywhere from 600 to 900 years old. And you've heard many of them before in Micah chapter 5 verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, it was foretold that Christ would come from Bethlehem, Ephratah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth from me, the one who is to be the ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from old and the ancient days. And then in Isaiah chapter 7, 14, it's foretold here. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. You know, these are easy for us to look at and say, yep, those prophecies were made, and yep, Jesus fulfilled them. But they wouldn't have understood all of those. All they knew that there is there was a Messiah coming, a Savior coming, and they didn't understand how it would all work out. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And in Jeremiah 33, 14 through 16, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And in those days Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. And then Hosea 11.1. 1, the scholars and the, the writers and those who were anticipating the prophecies must have wondered now. It said he would be born in Bethlehem and he would be raised in Judea. And, but out of Egypt, we see this Hosea 11.1. 1, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I call my son. But we know the gospel story now, don't we? We know how Jesus was born in Bethlehem. We know how he had to flee and leave and go to Egypt. And then after Herod died, he came back. And it all makes sense now. And we see how the prophecies were fulfilled. There's good reason to have confidence in Christ Jesus, that the word of God is true and that the word of Christ Jesus is exactly correct So how can we experience the love of Christmas this year? First of all, make room. I want to challenge you to make room in your life this year. Maybe you say, you know what, the first five minutes of my day, if you're doing no time right now, this would be a good place to start. And we have devotionals we'd love to give you. 
the first five minutes or the last five minutes, I'm going to commit to make room for Christ each day in my life, for prayer and, and the reading of Scripture. I'll get a devotional. I'm going to commit to do that this year. Or maybe you might say, I'm going to commit to be a part of a Bible study, a part of a prayer group. I'm going to commit to serve. Some of you just need to commit to be a part of worship, to make room in your life to worship, to make room to know the real meaning of Christmas, to believe the prophecies and to bow down and make him your king and your Lord, to receive the message as the shepherds did when the message is given, to receive it and to say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ and to seek him just as the shepherds did. They went and sought the Savior because they recognized the need. They recognized the fulfillment of the prophecy and that those who were believers to share the good news, to share the truth of the gospel with others. We've been talking about the first advent. First advent is simply this, that Christ came to earth. God came to earth in the form of man. The first time that Christ appeared, the first advent, and we've been celebrating advent. But can I tell you, there's a second advent coming. We call it the second coming of Christ. And next time Jesus will come, it will be different. Let me read this to you in conclusion. The first time Jesus came, he came in the form of a child. A star marked his arrival. Wise men brought him gifts. There was no room for him anywhere. Only a few attended his arrival. But the next time Jesus comes, the second advent, the second coming that we believe as followers of Christ, all will recognize him. Heaven will be lit with his glory. He will bring rewards for those who know him and serve him. The world won't be able to contain his glory. And every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess, and every eye shall see him for who he is. And he will come as sovereign king, king of kings, and lord of lords, Christ Jesus. Do you know him? I want to encourage you to meet him today. Would you pray with me? If you're here tonight and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I want to invite you to do that. I want to invite you to just take a moment and just out of sincerity of heart to make a commitment and just to say and pray this in your heart. Dear Jesus, I recognize that you God in the flesh, that you came and you lived the life that I should have lived and you died the death that I should have died. And God, I recognize my sin and I know that God cannot dwell in in the presence of sin and so there had to be a sacrifice. There had to be a payment for my sin. So Jesus paid it that if I would put my trust and faith in him, I might be forgiven. I might receive the gift of grace. And Lord, it's by that grace I ask by faith, for you to save me, not on my merits, not what I could do, not what I could accomplish, but what you've already done. Lord, forgive me. Be my Lord, my God, my Savior. I commit my life to you. For those of you who are here tonight, and this is a tough time, this is a difficult season, this is a hard time, I pray, Lord, that you would redeem the pain in their lives, that you would let them know that you are there, that you would let them experience you in your fullness and power, that you would wrap your arms of love around them. You would let them know that this isn't the end, that you are preparing them for the future and that great are their rewards as they suffer and as they go through these hardships, that greater is he that sent us than he that's in the world. And, Lord, we commit our lives to you 
even when we don't understand, even when we don't know how things will work out. We put our trust in you. And for those who are simply believers, God, I pray that this would be a time where we recognize the meaning of Christmas. And Lord, we open up our hearts to the gospel and we share the good news that's within us. We make room for you. We put you back upon the throne of our lives and we serve you. Thank you, Lord, for this night, for this time. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.